0: Welcome to the Grip Strip Podcast, Episode 71, the open-wheel-centric uh, episode of uh, the Grip Strip Podcast. We'll be talking about Formula One this weekend, the Hungarian Grand Prix, previewing that, discussing Ham, Ver, um, and all that went on with that. We'll get into the second drivers for both of those teams, along with possibilities of an upset you know there are been plenty of drivers that have won their first race at the Hungarian Grand Prix is that a possibility this weekend uh we'll talk about the points both in drivers and constructors and then also any type of silly season rumors Indy cars where they're still on their hiatus in part due to the Olympics but they will uh, be coming back for the Grand Prix uh, National Grand Prix on the streets of nashville tennessee in the coming weeks there's been testing certain drivers are testing ovals uh specifically roman grosjean and jimmy johnson and uh, roman grosjean is somebody that we will be discussing since he is uh somebody who looks to be moving on to another team in 2022 for a full-time effort and running which means he'll run the whole series um we'll go over Formula E, we'll go over the London E-Prix in some detail because it's Formula E. Um, We'll talk about the qualifying format and how basically in my mind it's idiotic Uh, and it's basically why we have the sort of championship uh, situation as we do going into the final round. Uh, And then also with the exits of of a couple of manufacturers what does that mean in regards to series health and viability overall when you consider uh the convergence between world endurance championship and imsa with prototypes and a lot of those oems looking at that formula possibility of indycar or other places going and having options uh for some of these manufacturers going to the roundup and we'll do some promotions uh uh not uh josh this week uh, he's on vacation, so I called in the heavy artillery. I wanted to go and call somebody who's way more prepared and thorough than I am. Uh, and I had to go across the pond to do it. I had to go and call one of the one of my friends from one of the former episode or previous episodes of the show, and also somebody that we worked together on the grid talk podcast. One of the two hosts of the Monkey Seat podcast, Tom Horks, is uh Chilling at home in the evening, his cat has not interrupted yet. So that is a good sign yet. (laughs) Um, Wife is outside, so he's got quiet, so he's very happy. It's not three o'clock in the morning having to do the podcast. I wanted to be very respectful to our co-host for this week's episode and actually do it at a proper hour in jolly old England. So thank you, Tom, for coming on. And uh, how are things going?
1: Yeah, great and thank thank you for having me back on. It's uh, it's great that I'm I'm not going to be uh, quite as husky as I was last time, although I'm equally as tired because it's been a it's been a very uh, very busy few days with uh, with planning for various things that are happening in my life. So uh, so yeah, equally as tired but not quite as uh, not quite as husky. So that's that's a definite plus for your listeners.
0: Yeah, I mean for whoever does listen at the end of the day, I mean, I'm not really worried about it. I just talk for the sake of talking. And I go and say effed up stuff. So I do it on grid talk and people laugh at it here. Nobody listens to it. So I don't give a fuck one way or the other. Either way, let's talk about people that I don't give a fuck about. And that's Max Verstappen and his team of whiners. Uh, and they're consistent crying uh, about uh, this, uh, uh, the accident during the, the, at the grand british grand prix uh the aftermath of that leading up to uh, this weekend's hungarian grand prix practice will uh take place on friday and uh they'll have two practice sessions will be a regular uh set up this week the second they announced this week that the second uh sprint deal will be at the italian grand prix so um which is all right. It makes sense. That'll make the qualifying a little bit more interesting on Friday too. Uh, but yeah, Hungarian Grand Prix, last race before the summer break. Uh, you know, the Lewis Hamilton's won there eight times, and that's one of the two circuits there And Silverstone. He's won at eight times, trying to go for a record-breaking ninth win and be the all-time winner at any racetrack in the history of Formula One. The same time, Max stopping. Uh, is trying to recover. Uh, he had a huge points lead, 30 plus point lead, and now it's down to 8 uh after uh the uh, the incident at Silverstone and in regards to the constructor standings, that gap which was close to 50 points or thereabouts is now down to 4 in between Red Bull and Mercedes. So I'll throw to you, Tom, in regards to this first piece here is, in your mind, is it Max Verstappen that is a clear-cut favorite for this weekend? Or do you believe that Mercedes and the upgrades that they brought at Silverstone are going to make enough of a difference to where Lewis can fight and possibly compete not only on Saturday, but definitely on Sunday when it all counts?
1: It's going to be a really interesting one. Uh, I'm not convinced either way, to be honest. I mean, it's, it's... Hungary has always been a very strong circuit for Lewis, and generally British drivers as a whole. From my perspective, seeing uh, Jensen Button winning his first race, I think it's uh, 15 years ago today. Actually, uh, yeah, yeah. Nigel Mansell won there. Uh, Locked up his
0: world championship there.
1: Yeah. and there's, there's there's been there's been multiple. I think Damon Hill. Damon won a Hill won his first there. race there. Yep. Yeah, so it's it's just one of those one of those race circuits that's been very kind to the Brits over the years, and Lewis as well. As you say, winning winning eight times which is just phenomenal when you when you think back to like how there's been there's been no seasons when there's been double headers you know he's um so that that's all just eight years he has been the best car there and that's sometimes it's been in inferior equipment sometimes it's been in the best equipment so he's probably won three races there in inferior equipment and I think this weekend he will be in inferior equipment, but will it be enough? It's a it's a track that's just full of medium speed corners. There's no really really hard braking zones apart from turn one, so it's going to be one of those tracks that that lends itself to the Red Bull philosophy, um, which is it's it's just it's just teeing it up perfectly for. I mean, can you imagine a scenario where Lewis wins the race and gets fastest lap, and Max Verstappen comes second? We then have to sit on a month of those two tied on points. It's uh it, it's gonna be great. I really I really hope that this they can go in to the break even, because I do think the second half of the season Rebel are gonna push on and potentially win the championship. But it would just be great if we get to the halfway point in the season and it's absolutely level pegging. So yeah, I think it's uh I, I, I would say Verstappen is probably the favourite, but you cannot write Hamilton off. I, I would have potentially written him off in Austria because it was obvious that red bull were the clear favorite for pace um you know not even a little bit they were clear favorites and you know that's that hasn't happened this season like the other way around even you know you could say barcelona mercedes had probably the slightly quicker car and that's the only race you could really say that but you know Red Bull were clear clear out front in austria so i can't see i don't think they'll be that far ahead but i think they will definitely be the uh, be the be the car to beat so yeah, it's going to be whether they, you know, what can what can Valtteri do, and what can what can Sergio do as well, because those two are going to now, especially with that double zero pointer for Red Bull last time out. The constructors' championship is now hot hot up as well. So uh, I cannot wait to find out what happens this weekend. And I'm just just shame that I'm on holiday and I'm going to miss it. I'm not going to see it live. So. <laughs> Well, it
0: is a Hungarian Grand Prix. So, I mean, even though for me it's it's a good one because of who my favorite driver is, it's never been one of my generally favorite races. I'll it's say. a race that sells out, and that's part of the reason why they've had it on for basically as long as I've been alive. Uh, yeah, the, I think Saturday qualifying is going to basically set the tone. I mean, practice, I figure Max... They're going to test the engine that was involved in the um, accident in practice one. So probably that's a throwaway that might be a Mercedes practice. I think in practice two, Red Bull will come back. Then in practice three, we'll kind of get a general gist of where things are at. But I think it's going to be a couple of tenths within. It's really going to all come down to Q3 and Who puts down the better lap? Max has been the better qualifier this year, honestly. Um, Lewis's starts have been mediocre to awful for a lot of the year. And fundamentally, if that happens again on Sunday and, say, the two teammates are behind, he could get jumped by both Valtteri and Perez. Now, more likely Perez, um, because Valtteri has been just as bad on the start. So... It's going to be something uh, – I mean, I'll never count out Lewis Hamilton no matter what, uh, but it's it's teed up, like you said, Tom, it, that Red Bull should should take this one um, and take the momentum into the break. But the the scenario of Lewis going and coming through and getting everything, getting a maximum point performance uh, versus Max, and then Max goes and, and finishes second – to have a tied score with a month break would be ideal um, going into the second half, since we don't even know where some of the races are going to be coming up either. It looks like, you know, there's been rumors of, you know, the outer circuit at Bahrain. There's been, uh, you know, two races at Coda. There's uh, because they already sent it. I got an email from, from uh, the circuit of the Americas. i subscribe and they're like if we had two races would you come and i'm like well let's see if you're actually going to have two races you haven't had a formula one race in a couple of years you're talking about having the moto gp race um so that's fine but if you're gonna have two races in form at austin who knows um maybe make it a little more cost effective so then i could actually justify putting myself through the pain of flying to austin during COVID time and then going and putting myself through all the nonsense to go and watch a Formula One race. Sure. Maybe I would do it.
1: I would love to, I'd love to go to Austin. Um, uh, even more than once, <laughs> it'd be brilliant. Uh, it's a, it's a great, it's a great track for Hamilton as well. And, uh, it's just a great track all round. I mean, it's, it's the Herman Tilker greatest hits track. It's often known as, uh, yeah, uh, cause it's just, it just copies, you know, copies maggots and Becketts and, and various other uh, corners all, all around the world. So it's uh, it, it's a great circuit, and I would love to see a double header there, one of which with a sprint race. So we get three races at Codra in one in one year. That that'd be good. Um, I, I don't think we're going to be going to Brazil. Um, there's question marks over quite a few Grand Prix. I yeah. did have a very strange rumor today. Actually, uh, I forget um, which which media outlet it was, but it was a uh, it was a reputable media outlet, um, and they, they said there was, there was talk of a possibility. Of going to Qatar this year. Yeah. Which uh that that's completely left field. If you'd have asked me if there would there be a Formula One race in Qatar in 2020 or 2021, sorry, then I would have just laughed at you. So yeah, yeah there's there's some there's some really strange things happening at the moment. And uh who would have thought that we'd have had a stranger year than twenty twenty, but it could end up the end of the season could be the complete opposite to last year where we just don't yeah. know where we're going at least last year we had we had some flexibility at the start and then it all kind of settled down and we knew what was going on but yeah this year it's it looks like it's going to be unsettled right until the death so um it we, we as you say we don't even have any races we're going to have i think yeah. we'll have 23 i'm pretty convinced we will get the 23 but just where they'll be who knows
0: yeah and i think that's another Another piece is the fact that uh, if they do run 23 or if they're going to go and lower the amount of races, how that would affect a world championship scenario, both world championships. You look at every not and not just for the Mercedes and Red Bull situation that that we already know they're going to take the top two spots in the drivers are going to take the top two spots in instructors. But you go past that and how these points battles are with McLaren and Ferrari and in constructors the third place in drivers then you go and look at the bottom of the even you have the mid that mid-pack battle or the you have the two pods there you have the Alpha Tory Alpine and Aston Martin battle and then you have the bottom three trying to move themselves up and avoid you know it's not relegation of course but basically less money uh you know Williams of course standing out in that scenario and uh and of course Putin Haas because they suck um but then you you look at I mean I guess that goes into this next point I mean we talked about Botas and Perez briefly there Tom but I mean I don't think of Perez as somebody who's this is one of his better circuits I mean he does well on tighter circuits but I've never really remember any like standout performances for him at Hungary. I think Botas, this is a track that kind of suits him and suits his style. And when you consider where he's at and the notion that he either might be going to Alpha Romeo or, or Williams or WEC at this point, I mean, for all intents and purposes, let's be fair here. He is not going to be driving that second Mercedes next year. I don't care what Lewis is saying I don't care what anybody else is saying it's the end of the road for him and a certain number 63 is probably going to be on that car um next year uh but is this an opportunity for Botas to kind of just sneak up on the battle between Lewis and Max put together a round that you know he does once a year and kind of like what he always does at Russia and and kind of go and sneak up on everybody and and put a pole together and put a race together. Can Perez actually show up in qualifying for once and actually qualify in the top three and put himself in the mix? Because he's always a better racer than he is a qualifier. He's never been a great qualifier. And how? And and honestly, that could really change the tide in regards to that particular race. In regards to both battles, the both drivers and constructors.
1: Yeah, it's um I think that the problem I find with Perez is that he's not really spectacular anywhere, really. I mean realistically, even even his first win in in uh in, was it Sekir or Secure or Sekir, Yeah, secure yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, even his first win in Secure, it's yeah, he came from the back to come through, but with with the safety car and the free pit stop, he was on. He had a massive tire advantage. So even then, I I wasn't. You know, he was he he did well, but he wasn't spectacular. He's never been spectacular. When he's been close to that, he's end up throwing it away. The guy he's, finds qualifying very difficult, and he can't ever seem to get a decent start. So you know, straight away, you've got a pace disadvantage in qualifying and you're not good at starts, you're never going to beat Max Verstappen realistically. His best chance is that he reenacts his um, his behavior from when he was teammates with Esteban Ocon and Jensen Barton and, and punt his teammate out of the way. Uh, but he'd have to get close enough to him to actually do that and I just can't see him ever doing that. So I would sign um, for
0: him to punt his teammate actually, that would be great.
1: That, that would be hilarious, but I, I can't see it happening, but it would be hilarious. Uh, but it's, it's just... <sighs> I I can't see I can't see Perez getting involved unless Max Verstappen decides that it's martial law and he's gonna uh, invoke some um Jos Verstappen style justice on track and uh, and uh, and and punt Hamilton out of the way to uh, a cor- a chorus of of booze all saying that Hamilton should be banned, no doubt. Um, but while um, while 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 Karen Horn is there waving his bell and saying no, you know it's it's yeah it just. Does my head in anyway? So I'm going a little bit off topic there. We're talking about Sergio Perez, and uh, and yeah, I I can't see him. Let's say unless there's something happens to those guys, I can't see him being a factor for the win. I can't see him being a factor at all in the race. Bottas is fighting for his future, but to be honest. Um, a Bottas fighting for his future is like a, you know, it's like a kitten playing with a roll a toilet roll. It's not really going to... It's it's not a particularly frightful thing, an angry Valtteri Bottas. So, I, you know, the only person on the track who is disappointed when they announce that Sochi would be moving. But I don't think he has to worry about it because I don't think he'll be in Formula 1 when it does change. So it's, uh, it's not really going to affect him. Um, again, he just... The answer, really, for me is no. I the role that they have to play is to is to beat each other and be as close to their teammates as possible, so that they can pick up the maximum points. And if their teammates are out of the race, to try and maximise it, we've seen that Bottas can't do that. We've seen that Perez potentially can do it from time to time. It it takes it takes the the master of all cock ups from Lewis Hamilton to <laughs> Baku for Perez to win a race in a Red Bull um and it takes uh, a a horrific racetrack in the middle of Sochi uh, yeah. for for Bottas to, to to win a race realistically so yeah. um that the the fight that they're going to be in is is going to be with each other and uh, and for their seats to be honest uh, i don't think Perez is nailed on but i, I just don't see who else they're going to put else in that seat well i'm sure we'll get to that when we get to silly season there's me jumping ahead in the uh, in the running order again um yeah. feel free to slap me down uh oh, you're <laughs> so, okay but yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's 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 kind of it, really, for me. It's, yeah. He's there's not really a lot that they're going to bring to the party. Um, if something crazy happens, they they could potentially have a say in it. But they're not yeah. on raw pace, neither of them.
0: Yeah, and it's it's not going to be it's going to be boiling hot and sunny, which is usually hungry weather. I mean, the only time I remember I think it was when Button. One And then maybe a couple other years where there was some sort of precipitation. And then Eddie Lawson when he won his last Grand Prix on a motorcycle um, on a Kajiva 92 when they had rain at frickin' Hungary. But uh, when it comes to Botas, I mean, he's checked out. I think he's already one foot out the door. He doesn't give a crap anymore. And that's part of the reason why they're so far behind. Uh, one of the many reasons why they're so far behind Mercedes. Uh, Perez has been fine. Um, when you compare him relative to like Albon or not Gasly as much, but like Albon or Kvyat or some other second driver that isn't, you know, like Daniel Ricciardo, who really wasn't the second driver, but he was basically demoted to that because they all like to have a circle jerk with Max Verstappen and Yasser stopping and all those other idiots. Um, I mean that is just a group of douchebags if I've ever seen them, but you know it's they they're gonna have they they have to show up. It's really about um their battle amongst each other, um also for their seats or whatever seat they're trying to get, and then also with Lando, um which um as Tom is the number one McLaren fan that I know, um very happy about uh having a great year. Only driver to score points in every race this year, and he has outshone his teammate Daniel Ricardo uh, all year basically, and he's in a battle for third in the driver's championship and uh, third year in the series, um uh, think so right third year in the series and mm-hmm. and he's really um taken such a big step forward. McLaren is taking steps towards getting back to where they were for many, many years which is the front end of the grid. And um, I mean, I guess, you know, if, if I, I know your answer, if, if you didn't think that Botas and Perez could do it, we were talking about on grid talk. We always have the dark horse or like, like the wild card, or I forget what the topic is. The, the, um, at the, the bold, end of the show, the bold the prediction. prediction. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think, this weekend, I mean, Lando is going to be up there. He's been qualifying well. He's been qualifying way better than Daniel. But I think Daniel Ricardo, this is one of his best circuits. It's a place where he's won at. He had a, I think he podiumed with Renault last year. I might be off on that, but I feel like he ran well there. He ran top he five. Yeah, and so I feel like he's going to finish. He's going to do well and get a podium this weekend. And when you consider Ferrari. They're all about one lap pace. They don't really have race pace, and you see how Leclerc's been doing, and Carlos Sainz is. I, I figure that battle is something else that we really have to consider in regards to how tough it is to overtake um, at the Hungaro Ring, um, and their relative pace. Albeit, you know, once you get in a long run pace, it's really a problem for both cars. But I do think McLaren and Ferrari could do something in this race to affect the overall um, feel um minus you know Lewis versus Max.
1: Yeah, uh, when you're talking about people that can influence results, it's it's a sad state of affairs when the, the clear top two guys in the championship or the top two cars in the field, I am more confident about um, Charles Leclerc, Carlos Sainz, Orlando Norris affecting the result of the race than I am about the guys in the fastest cars. Um, I think this. I would love to say, given that it's how well the Brits have ran in Hungary in the past, that Lando could potentially push for it. But um, I'm. I would be more on on the if if you're asking me for a bold prediction, then I would be saying um, Charles Leclerc for the race win, because uh, it with the medium speed corners, the uh, the donkey in the back of that, you know, the, uh, the 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 horse with the limp is not quite as. Um, He's, you know, he's 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 got a chili pepper up his ass for this one. It's because it's not it's not so essential for, to for speed on this one. There's there's nowhere really that's that's going to suit them better apart from potentially Monaco. So I think we're going to see the Ferrari as the lead fight, taking it to the uh, Mercedes and the Red Bulls, and could potentially cause some headaches. I think you'll see one of those Ferraris, if not both of them, ahead of Perez and Bottas in qualifying. Um, I I think that's that's a good shout to say that. I think it's it's a very it's 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 going to be um it's going to be difficult to say which which one of those Ferrari boys does it because they seem to take it in turns to see which one is going to pull out the best performance. Invariably, the bad luck sends to tends to drop towards Carlos Sainz. Uh, and Leclerc seems to be the better qualifier. But yeah, we've always called him Sunday Sainz. Uh, he's uh he's he just gets on with it on the Sunday and just. Just what I think happens is, I think Ferrari say, right, let's split the strategy. Let's give Leclerc the the um, the best strategy, and then we'll give science the alternate strategy. And science invariably makes the alternate strategy work. Because it just seems to me that Leclerc always seems to have the what you would think would be the favourable strategy, but yet somehow Science somehow pulls out the best result. So it's which is why they're they're so close in the standings. And obviously Leclerc got a great result last time out, which so he's pulled away a little bit now of the Science, but uh, to only be two points behind after what 10, 11 races and he's just joined the team it's a solid effort ricardo um yeah i just had a had a quick check and i was quite surprised to see that he was actually eighth for renault last year uh, at this track which uh which did surprise me i thought this was one i thought he, this was
0: one that he did have a podium or a top five yeah I, I, th- I, th- I thought so
1: no i i, I thought <laughs> so as well i mean he does often he does run well here um but it it wasn't it wasn't last year uh it was uh lance stroll in racing point that was fourth uh and it uh, was the it was the it was the Hanver bot at the yeah. top so it's um yeah so slightly surprising really um but yeah it's he he does Riccardo does run well here but i do think that the mclaren strength is in a straight line so uh this track might not be suited best to them i think it's going to be a bit of damage limitation similar to austria and then the the, the second half of the season is all going to be about um, is, is much more suited to the McLarens the second half of the season. So if they can go into the summer break ahead of Ferrari, then they've got a good chance of holding on. But what I do think is going to happen, both of those teams are going to take their foot off the gas for the second half of the season when it comes to development, because they've got that third and fourth place pretty much sewn up in the championship now. There's yeah. no one's going to catch those two teams. if they Between third and fourth, it's not going to make a vast difference to the business plan of Ferrari uh, and McLaren would back themselves to out a Ferrari team that has also stopped developing. So I don't think it's as important. I think they're both going to take the foot off. You'll see them start to fall away from the guys up front and you'll see the guy, the guys behind start to close towards. So it's going to be a much more competitive end to the season. But uh, whoever's in front at the, at the summer break, I think is going to be the one that's going to stay there. Uh, so I, I'm itching for that to be McLaren on this occasion. But those two teams definitely him have a good chance of of causing an update up, upset this weekend, more so than any other weekend so far, apart from potentially Monaco.
0: Yeah, I think uh, McLaren is just going to keep on going from strength to strength in regards to what they've been doing. I do believe even though their, their um, strength is straight line speed with the Mercedes engine, um, they have a better car. Um, and they have the... I think they've had the better, they have the best of the four drivers right now. Albeit, a Charles Leclerc had that second place finish at the British Grand Prix, and he led most of the race, and he is known as a you know great driver that kind of has been held back. But and of course, uh, signs had uh, I think he had that the podium at the Monaco Grand Prix too. So, I mean, there's the it could line line up for Ferrari, but I don't see it. I think McLaren holds on whether it's lando whether it's um ricardo that's the first of those to be determined but i think that's where it starts and ends and then once they go to spa and even the dutch grand prix i think uh, those races post summer break are going to be in the wheelhouse for them and i do agree with what you said tom in regards to the lack of development you can make an argument that even mercedes with the way they shown up this year with their car almost was kind of like a half i said it earlier to somebody else on twitter that it was a half baked you know commitment almost as though as they thought oh it's okay yeah we don't have to really fully commit we'll be fine what happened is red bull decided to show up and improve their car not only that you have Honda, who all these times they've left Formula One have usually been in in bad, in a bad way. You know, like '92, they got smoked by the Williams Renault. Then in 2008, they were a joke. uh You know, like oh, there's and then they almost left Formula One with the McLaren deal, and that that could have been a, a disaster too. But they joined Red Bull, so now they're going to actually officially leave, whatever so to speak, leave. And they want to leave on a high note so they brought a better power unit they keep on developing they keep on trying to put themselves in a position to give max the best chance and matt and and to be fair max Verstappen has taken a step forward and upped his game to where he is at that elite level that so many people have put him up there not not only the butt buddies that he works for but the people like he's actually taken that step forward Um, And all those things combined have meant that the 33 car has been up front most of the year and made Lewis Hamilton have to work for the possible eighth world championship and another constructors championship for Mercedes, another consecutive constructors championship for Mercedes. Um, So, yeah, when it comes to the driver standings, as I said, eight points, Max Verstappen has 185 to Lewis's. 177 then in the battle for third it's nine points between lando norris 113 points botas is five points back and perez is nine points behind uh lando then in the uh sixth and seventh are the ferrari duo they're all they're in their own little world uh ricardo gasly and vettel uh, round out the top 10. Vettel and Alonso, who have been around each other for a lot of the year, are battling for that last uh, spot in the top 10. Alonso has um, woken up from his retirement hibernation and been really good in recent races, uh, making uh, the Ocon re signing look kind of poor and also showing that they do have some pace depending on the circuits. Um, probably will be a dark horse guy, I would say for this weekend if he can take off get into q3 um, because he's fernando alonso um when it comes to constructors red bull is up by four points on mercedes and then uh, tom mentioned it mclaren and ferrari are in their own little world a 15 point gap right now mclaren has over ferrari then it's nine points between alpha Torrey, Aston martin and alpine uh Aston Martin and al is only one point, so that in its own right, you know, Pierre Gasly, somebody to watch on the smaller, tighter circuits. Uh, Vettel has made uh, a lot of, made his bones this year in the Assa Martin on the tighter circuits. Stroll, as uh, Tom brought up, finished fourth at this race last year. His best finish was at Baku years ago in a Williams. So who knows? That could be an interesting little battle. Can Sonoda keep it on the track? um will sonoda do something crazy and crash into somebody or will sonoda be like current day takuma sato stay calm and sneak up on everybody and get a top six finish i don't know i think one of these days that's going to happen because he's basically new age takuma sato but uh and we got that and you have Alpha romeo williams i want to say this part I, I figure we always talk about a george house and a former guest on the show um, I took over his bold prediction during the the race preview, and I said that George Russell is going to score points uh, this race, um, and I believe it not only because I'm a part of the fandom that I want him in the second Mercedes seat, but the way that they have been running in recent races, Williams, there's a really good possibility. All things considered, he can qualify in Q3, and they don't being a pit stop they can get a point in this race honestly I don't know who's really gonna stand out yeah Alpine might be there Aston you know Alpha Torre, sure but in Austria George showed that he was right on the cusp and I think the hungara ring is the place that we finally get over this hump and it leads to the eventuality that they're probably going to announce whether it's at Spa, whether it's at the Dutch Grand Prix or the, the Italian Grand Prix, that he will be promoted um, to the Mercedes seat. I don't know what you think, Tom, but I think this is the week that we finally end the pain for the George Russell fans in regards to him scoring points in a Williams. The Williams, uh, the debacle that Williams has become finally ends at least temporarily with George Russell getting his first points for the and uh, outfit out of
1: Grove. Yeah, I agree with you. Actually, it's uh, it's something that that I've been thinking about over over the week. It's it's a kind of circuit that it's very difficult to overtake. And and Williams need to get back to the days when they were actually good at pit stops. They don't even have to be fantastic. They just have to not screw up. So if um it's hardly an if to it really George is doing a fantastic job in qualifying he's getting that car into into Q2 and pushing on Q3 the track itself is in a bit of a bowl so it's not going to be wind affected there's um it's it, there's high humidity at the weekend so the mercedes power unit is is going to be it's going to be probably at its at its strongest though it is going to be temperature sensitive so it's that's one thing you need to look out for on that i believe we're close to sea level. At hungary as well uh which again is where it's uh where it's at its strongest it's it's the kind of track where you can't overtake it's it's a go-kart track that you have to manhandle the car you have to be patient around the long the long mid-speed corners you can't take too much apex too early or you'll uh, or you'll end up just completely mounting the curb and going into a wall it's uh it's always known as monaco without the barriers which i hate because it's not but it's it does share that those kind of those uh, those kind of corners in in that kind of way, and as I say, it's just just a go kart track. It suits George. It would be poetic justice to this narrative that seems to follow about British people doing well in Hungary if he were to get his first points in a Williams, British driver in a British team at the Hungarian Grand Prix. I can see it happening. Um, I I, I've, I wouldn't say as much as I'm going to put it as a bold prediction, but it would not surprise me if it did happen. Um it's not gonna be Latifi. He started the season looking like he was gonna be a decent driver this year, Latifi, and he just see excuse me, he seems to be going backwards a little bit yeah. on that front. I, I've I've been a bit disappointed in in the way this kind of second part of the first half of the season's gone for him. He needs to push on in the second half of the season. Um and yeah, and has yeah, no no one cares. They're not gonna yeah. be anywhere. Uh <sighs> Raikkonen and Jovanazzi, who knows? It's a I I it's a strange scenario where I'm seeing Williams as as the most exciting of the three bottom teams now. Which yeah. I didn't expect to after what we what we went through last year with them. Um, you know, at least you had the uh you know, you had you had the of fuck smash doors and stuff and the yeah, yeah the, the yeah, that whole kind of Grosjean and Magnuson battle going on and and you had a similar thing uh, brewing at Alpha Romeo even though it was a, a boring vanilla version of it but uh Williams were always that the, kind of the bottom of the pile there but now it's it's for me it's it's clearly Alpha Romeo that that are my least least like team in Formula 1. I even put Haas above them just because for lols it's yeah. just it's just a bit more meme-worthy and a bit more entertaining. I just don't care about the Alpha Romeo's but at least the Haas yeah. you can laugh at.
0: Yeah, and it's sad for uh, people who respect what Peter Sauber did bringing the team to Formula and all these years ago and what they've generally become now um, to a lesser extent. Also for Mick, um, I made the reference on Red Talks and um, whoever hosts likes to park me with the Ha segment. Um, and I made the reference that, that Mick would have been better off driving his dad's first Grand Prix car this weekend at at Hungary then the car that he will be driving he has a more likely possibility of making Q2 in that car than he does in his current car um the gearbox is probably better and it's probably better made it's better looking um it isn't sponsored by a dictatorship or a Jackass either um so so be it, of course. Kimi Räikkönen, you mentioned uh, Alfa Romeo there, and it's a good segue into the fact of the silly season. I mean, it's kind of – I mean, you mentioned Sergio Perez may or may not be in trouble. Um, I think everyone knows about Mercedes at this point. Uh, you know, all the mid – a lot of the midfield teams have already basically got their drivers. Ferrari set for next year, McLaren set. Uh so is Alpine, for all intents and purposes. Aston Martin, I think, is set uh, because I think Vettel will be coming back. I'm not sure, but... Uh, yeah, he's
1: on a multi-year deal. Yeah, the only question yeah. mark is Stroll. He's not officially signed up, but he's <laughs> he's, he's not going to... His gonna dad owns the own team. Yeah. yeah,
0: so it doesn't really matter what he does um, unless he, like, kicks a dog or does something, like, Nikita Mazepin. I actually called him by his name. That's that that tells you I'm slipping. It's earlier in the day. That's why. Um it's during the week. Um or he does something that that guy would do. Uh, I don't think he's getting let go even though there are better options out there. Uh I think the it really comes down to the um yeah, the Red Bull, the second seats at to the top two teams to a point and then it comes down to the bottom three. Uh, Kimi Räikkönen basically is done. He's toast. Uh, they're probably moving on from him. They've done the Alfa Romeo deal again for whatever it's worth. There's supposedly no commitment to having a Ferrari Junior driver, which in turn um, messes with the likes of Callum Eilat, Robert Schwartzman, etc., um, etc. Cetera, et cetera. I mean, I don't know how many Ferrari Junior drivers are at this point. But there's a lot of them. Uh, you look at Alpine and their junior drivers, like Guan Yu Zhou, who's going to probably be stuck now, even if he wins the Formula 2 championship, which is a possibility. Um, you know, there there are a lot of drivers, There's Formula E guys, that there was rumors about that we'll get into in a little bit here in the Formula E discussion, but um, that are trying to get back into Formula 1. You have Botas likely. Um, there's a lot of moving pieces here on the back end. Um, Williams is going to have a seat open probably. Um, Alpha is definitely going to have a seat open. Who knows? Maybe Alpha Tori goes in and, and freaks on, on uh, uh, Yuki, but I don't think so. I bet it's possible because it is Red Bull and it's Alpha Tori. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Anything that you have or you've heard so far and – Regards to any of the seats in Formula One that are available.
1: Yeah, well, I've, I uh, I nearly I nearly had a uh, heart attack and I got a sick feeling in my mouth when a notice came up on my phone saying Alfa Romeo uh, secure multi-year deal to stay with, and I was like, don't be Reikin and for the love of God! But it turned out it was just the uh, just the deal to stay <laughs> yeah. with Alfa Romeo in Formula yeah. One. Uh, so I was uh, relieved about that. Um, so, but certainly for from a driver perspective, I. I, I'm hearing different mutterings. I'm. Some people are saying, "Yep, yeah, Kimmy's done." Other people are saying that he's definitely staying. And I just, I think it's the trouble is he's a shareholder. Um, I, I think it's up to him. I just, and I think if he fancies staying, then he will stay, which is just the most frustrating and boring thing. But that. At least, at least there's no commitment to keep a Ferrari driver in that car because it means that they can actually mix things up and have someone decent in there. I mean, I'm not against Giovinazzi staying, but not with Raikkonen. He's got to be alongside someone else. If Raikkonen were to go and they brought in Bottas or Hülkenberg or even Kvyat, then I would be fine with that. I would be interested to see what what happens with that. See Giovinazzi up against someone else who's a bit more of a known quantity. For me, Kimi Raikkonen has been going downhill since 2016 i would say he won his last race in 2014 in a lotus and i just don't i or it might be 2013 actually but either way it was he's um yeah i think it was 2013 but he's he's not really done anything since then he's won one race in a ferrari which for two years was the best car and it just doesn't doesn't make sense um and i and we saw that oh he's very close to vettel but then they bring in Charles Leclerc, and Charles Leclerc de- destroys Vettel. So it just makes you think, how long has Vettel been underperforming? I get the impression he's been underperforming for quite a long period of time. Which, again, you know, Ferrari having the best car, and yet they didn't get any championships So in, in that period. So I just don't think Räikkönen has had a lot to offer the sport. Yes, he has flash-in-the-pan days. And on, those, on that flash-in-the-pan day, when there happens to be rain and a well-timed pit stop and someone retiring and binning it, and um, Mazepin not getting out of the way on some blue flags, then yes, of course he he yeah. will. He might get a fifth place or something this season. It's it's a genuine possibility. But that's that's going to be down to the stars aligning and Kimi having his best day. But he has his best day maybe twice a year. And you've got people that need to be in that seat and should be in that seat. And he's just taking up that seat. So I I just don't see what he offers to the sport. Like you say, uh, I think it's still in the balance. I don't think they are. Even if they've decided that Mercedes are going to go for Russell, I don't think they're going to announce it yet. I don't think they're going to announce it until they believe it's right, and they will believe it's right will be the latest possible opportunity. So they don't, so they so they don't demotivate Bottas in the constructors' championship fight. If the championship fight looks to be over, or very unlikely that they're going to be being able to fight back, then perhaps they'll make the announcement. But I, I can't. I think they'll wait until the end of the year, as late as they physically can. They may even get something lined up for Bottas and say, "Look, we're not going to renew you, but we've got you this option, and it's Alfa Romeo, or we've got you this option, and it's Williams." So they'll have something lined up for him when they sack him because they don't want to see him drop out of the sport because he has done a lot for them. Um. So yeah, potentially, potentially Williams. There, I would rather see Bottas leave the sport than go to Williams. Um, or Alfa Romeo, um, personally, because I just don't think he's... For him, it'd be a shame. Big up-and-coming star, into Williams, gets the promotion to Mercedes very close to Lewis for a couple of years, then he ends up back at Williams again. It's a horrible scenario. And uh, it's a scenario that I've been in in my professional life as well in the past. And it's just, yeah. you know, you're, you're the next big thing and all of a sudden you're back where you started five years later. And it's just, it's a horrible, horrible feeling. And I just don't see what he would want from that scenario. So I can't see that happening. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see what they what they do with, with Schumacher, uh, if he stays in Haas or if Ferrari try and place him somewhere else, If there's no, if there's going to be no... No guarantee of a driver in in Alfa Romeo. Who knows where? He, I th- I think I my my gut is he's staying with Haas. Um, Williams the as I say the Hulkenberg Kvyat has been mentioned quite a bit. They're mentioning Tictum on a few outlets I noticed, but I can't. He won't get the super license points, uh, so I, I can't see him. I can't see him getting in there. And also I don't think he's good enough anyway. Um, Alpinus set. Aston Martin has set. Uh, Alpha Tori. I can't see AlphaTauri making any changes. Hmm. Um, and that's kind of, that's really all your movement. It's not going to be a lot of movement this year.
0: Yeah, yeah, you're right on that. And it's more on the back end. Uh, Chris Medlin, uh, racer.com, F1 Insider, uh, just uh, posted uh, an article in regards to this. And basically the discussion that we are having in regards to Botas v. Russell is one piece but then also talking about Sergio Perez um you know in regards to uh Red Bull or staying at Red Bull um Gasly is unlikely it's set surely set for a second year develop, even if Yuri Vips and Liam Lawson have impressed um Aston Martin you know, and the egghead is on the verge of something most as alpha and brilliant because recent, uh, yeah, like there's Callum, I allowed driver Schwartzman, Stigling, uh, both for likely retained. Is Hulkenberg and yeah, so Hulkenberg. Uh, everyone talks about the Hulk. I think that's somebody. I mean, be that a young, yeah, go on. Like I also like, and before the Alfa Romeo announcement happened, i I was under the impression that uh the Hinwil teams the team that was once sauber would go and be like a junior effort with with Renault, um
1: and take yeah, sorry about that i think i'm the one that i think i'm the one that started that rumor <laughs>
0: yeah no i figured that too i i've been on that feeling for a while i mean and it might have been a better idea because in turn they could have gotten guan yuzhou in the in the in the car they could have gotten chinese sponsorships of different value whatever you might get the free engine, so then you can go and in turn decide um, on a better driver like a Hulkenberg back at Sauber for a third go, and then you have Guan Yu there. I think that would be a better driver lineup and give you a better chance in 2022 than anything they're going to have, um, but instead they're going to stay to be the, what is it, the B Ferrari team, I guess, I don't know, Yeah, I don't even know anymore. I think
1: the uh, the the way they've been trying to position it is that Haas is the junior team and Sauber is the associate. I think that's the way they're they're trying to play it. Um, so like the, the Haas are going to be the ones that get all the cast offs because they'll get yeah. the they'll get they'll get the free the free engines, but they won't have any choice of drivers because you've got Daddy Vladdy, yeah, uh, and uh, and whoever Ferrari wants to place in that car, um, yeah, they have a as you mentioned before, they have a plethora of young talent coming through they've finally binned off giuliano L.C., which was a, a bit of a mercy killing to be honest because he was yeah. definitely not <laughs> not worth he's anything. not any good yeah no um so it, i just don't see where ferrari if they if they if they're really getting behind mick schumacher and with everything you're seeing from leclerc and science i can't see where people are going to get into formula one in the junior series but at least with ferrari they've got their supercar program coming in now there's other irons in fires as well so there's other the Ferrari Junior program is not about creating Formula One drivers necessarily. It's about creating professional Ferrari drivers and that they will be professional Ferrari drivers. And that, yeah. that's that's at least one thing that is going to push people into, into those areas. And now that Ferrari are kind of um, expanding, which is good for motorsport as a whole, because Ferrari are a fantastic brand, even if I'm not their biggest fan. They are a fantastic brand. I was disappointed when they didn't when they didn't sign a deal to become an engine supplier at IndyCar, I thought that was going to be the the next step for them, but uh, never, never came off. Uh, but the supercar um Le Mans thing is obviously a, uh, the route they wanted to go down. So that's, uh, I'll watch that with, uh, with uh, a bit of uh, <laughs> curiosity as well. Yeah. So, yeah. It's, it, it's just difficult to see where they're gonna come from. I can't see Guan Zhou getting in. I don't think he's good enough anyway. If it takes you four years to win Formula Two, then you surely can't be up to anything anyway. Yeah. Uh, just look at Jolion Palmer. Um, yeah. it's uh, and Davide Vasaki as well. He he was a three or four year I think before he won. So it's it's just difficult to see what these people are gonna get in. Uh, Lungard um is I think is a talent, but he's having a really bad year. He's my for me the the top of the Alpine driver program for me but uh but i can't see him getting in anytime soon either yeah
0: and he's hedging he's already hedging his bets by going and testing for ray hall letterman lanigan and mm-hmm. associates um to drive an indy car so he's already looking and then i think that's that's a way to go and get into uh it's not the best segue but it's a segue um we'll talk uh about indy car uh The points battle so far this year has been outstanding. Uh, You have Alex Pillow leading the points standings right now, Uh, and they have their break before they go to Nashville Street Circuit, which is a big deal uh, for the series. There's a lot of energy, great energy going on. Joseph Newgarden, a Tennessee guy, um, being uh, born and raised And winning the last race uh, at Mid-Ohio, winning on an anniversary for Penske, Uh, Penske's first win same day, uh, they won on July the 4th back in 71 or whatever, and they won on July the 4th at Uh, Mid-Ohio. I think if there's one person who's going to want to win that race more than anybody, it's Joseph Newgarden, and he's put himself right back in the points battle Um, there's really only four guys right now that could win the championship, in all honesty. Alex Pillow, Pato Award, both of them have two wins this year. Pillow has six podiums. I don't know how many people were really thinking that Alex Pillow was going to jump in the 10 car and look like uh, Dario Franchitti in a way, but that's what he's looked like um, outside of Dario Franchitti. Um, And for times here and there, the late great Dan Weldon, Scott Dixon has not had a teammate that's been able to stand with him um, at all. Uh, You know, there's been a laundry list of people they put through that 10 car. Um, Everyone talks about Tony Kanaan and how great Tony, he's not really that good. And he hasn't been for a while. Um, You know, the Rosenquist struggled after all these years of build up and Ganassi wanting him struggled. You had other guys in the 10 car haven't done anything, but Alex Pillow. Um, is a guy that he was in f- in the uh, f- whatever Super Formula in Japan. So it amazes me that Honda didn't even give him any type of run to possibly get him in Red Bull program or whoever. It makes no sense to me. But then I, I don't really understand. That's one thing. All these years of watching racing, it's like you see talent, but then you know you, you'd rather take you know Vladdy's son. Um, and and Latifi and the likes like that. Um, that's probably why IndyCar is better, because they at least generally give the vast majority of the field has talent. Um, Palo Award, who is definitely one of the best young talents there is in motorsport, and I've only, and I think, uh, Frank and Missy Indy Sports Car Podcast. If it weren't for them, I would have never known who Patricia Award was wouldn't know about him and the whole background and all this. And because of them, I'm a Mark. Um, He is driver for Arrow McLaren, Arrow Spam, as I like to call him. Uh, So Tom, uh, of course, is a fan of theirs and fan of him. Scott Dixon trying to win championship number seven uh, to tie A.J. Foyt is 56 points back, uh, awards 39 points back. And, of course, Joseph Newgarden. After his win at Mid-Ohio, a um, couple of close calls before that, um, 69 points back and forth. Uh, that's the um, championship battle. Uh, there, The two young guns there, of course, Colton Hurta uh, won early this year. Renus VK, uh, he, he had a win this year as well. Um, former, I mean, Marcus Erickson's not theoretically a young gun at this point a former Formula One driver, got his first win uh, this year. So there's been a lot of nice stories uh, so far this year, youth movement, and then you have, of course, Elio Castro Neves finally getting his fourth Indianapolis 500 win in his first start for Meyer Shank Racing, and in turn basically setting the table to go and run full-time in IndyCar again. Uh, which I don't know if a couple of years ago, Elio Castroneves thought he was going to be able to ever run full-time IndyCar, but because Jim Myers loaded and my and and Michael Shank has enough beer to last him for a lifetime, um, he will be running uh, full-time again next year, which we'll get into in a little bit. But, Tom, I know you're an IndyCar guy. You talk about it on the monkey seat. Um the fact of the matter is there's so many great intriguing storylines so far this year but to me the polo versus award battle is a beautiful thing not only for the health of the series but it speaks to a lot of different things in regards to two guys that are this talented that are this young this could be the future right here these two guys to a lesser extent, Colton Herta, maybe even Alexander Rossi, who's kind of in the in-between phase. The next generation of IndyCar drivers right now is setting a tone to really make a very strong series with a TV package generally that's also going to be strong, at least here on our side of the aisle, of the of the pond.
1: Yeah, there's um, there's there's definitely some great things to look out for. Uh, I know when we uh, we did our Indy 500 podcast, we had uh, we had Jack Benyon on who who does the race Indycar podcast over here, and uh, and he he said about the whole uh, young guard taking over from from the uh, from the established established drivers, a bit a bit of a myth, and I, I'm inclined to agree with him. But you, you know you see people like Scott Dixon um, still. Doing the business now, and he's no spring chicken, and they—they uh, they shows absolutely no signs of him letting up. I think at IndyCar, it looks like you can you can race a lot more into your forties. Maybe Kimi Ryan can come here for a decade. Uh, <laughs> I mean, even you know, he's, I know I know Taku's under pressure, which I'm sure we'll get to later. But you know, at 45 years old, he's still. He's still putting in some performances that that could, you know, certainly more than one or two times a season. He's he's up there. He won races that weren't the Indy 500 last season, so it shows that he's still got stuff there. And uh, I'd like to point out as well for when you had me on last time for the for the IndyCar preview, uh, I I said one of seven drivers could win the championship, and none of those seven drivers were below. Well, so, yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. just just goes to show just how how this has come completely out of left field but I, mean, I also said that Rosenquist would push award uh <laughs> So, oh, uh, yeah, yeah,
0: that didn't yeah. work out too well not, for anybody, not so
1: good. But I, I will take credit in the fact that I said that VK would win races and uh, and that Hunter Ray and Hinchcliffe will be under pressure as well. So, uh, I, I'll take uh, I'll take, uh I'll, take some, I'll take some wins there. And I also said that Scott McLaughlin would be the best rookie. Well, uh, that's
0: so. that's not, I mean, to be fair, on that points one, wise, the only yeah, points wise, you're yeah. you're talking about the fact that I mean, we're going to get into one of them um, mm-hmm. in more detail here shortly, but. Uh, McLaughlin's running a full-time deal with Penske and he's got a lot of energy behind him, Hmm. um, within the team and from ownership while you have another guy who's driving for Rick Ware, um, and Dale Coyne. Uh, so that's already a throwaway. So you're already kind of screwed. So the fact he's able to do anything is a miracle. Hmm. And then one seven time NASCAR champion, who's one of the greatest drivers I've ever seen, Struggling mightily to learn a new formula of racing at 45 years of age, um, which uh, has been humbling. But I'll tell you what, I've never seen a sponsorship activation. I've never, I haven't seen an IndyCar sponsor with that much activation on TV or any motorsport sponsor activate that well since I think UPS with Dale Jarrett um the the nascar champion dale jarrett three-time daytona 500 or whatever when the ups and the big brown like that's basically i can't remember anybody who's activated done all these commercials They're they're hilarious they're goofy they're corny it shows how good jimmy johnson is that he can take the piss out of himself and he's definitely taking the piss out of himself because he's struggled and it's been bad and people are ragging on him like nobody's business. i'm like Dude, the guy's won 84 NASCAR races, and he's won championships since he was 15 before he was, like, before he was on TV. He was on TV when he was 15 in the early 90s winning races. Like The fact of the matter is, guy's one of the greatest race car drivers I've ever seen. And it proves a point that IndyCar racing is tough. I mean, it's no joke. And when you've won and dominated in one formula, and then you just look like complete garbage in another one uh whether it's your fault or not it's the same way it went the other way like you think about like the only person in recent times that has came from open wheel and went to stock car racing was Juan Pablo Montoya but then you asked all the inbred hillbillies the only thing they talk about is he had a jet dryer at the Daytona 500. They don't take into account the fact that he had a broken track bar and his stupid crew chief let him go drive back out on the racetrack so he wouldn't lose a lap and then had that happen that doesn't matter because of course facts don't matter to those inbreds um he won races he was good on ovals he should have won oval races in a stock car he came back to IndyCar, and then he won another indy 500 probably should have won another championship he's a sports car driver now but probably should be in an IndyCar, car but he's too fat Um, but the fact of the matter is he can, he's still one of the great race car drivers of all time. He's the only one Dario Franchitti sucked, Sam Horner sucked. Uh, there's miss Hummer is miss Hummer. You know, like you can add all these people that went to NASCAR and it didn't go that way. I think Jimmy is the difference is Jimmy wants it bad enough. He's going to be testing at, at homestead here, which might be a precursor of a couple things. One is he's going to run ovals next year. Two, he's going to run the Indy 500. Three, they're going to be running Homestead in the Indy Car Series next year, which would be cool since they have multi grooves. Um, so it'll actually be a proper racetrack, not like Texas. Um, so that'll be a positive sign. In turn, you talked about rookies. Roman Grosjean uh, just got through his first test with Scott McLaughlin at the Oval at Gateway, which is one of the best. Uh, most well promoted races they have on the calendar and and he's going to make his oval debut and it it kind of goes to one of the topics we were discussing um I I mean I think in regards of, I'm, I'm jumping ahead there I think we'll do that and then we'll get into best moments after that Roman Grosjean is basically the lightning rod of the uh silly season deal because to think what happened to him last December, um, in Bahrain, and to be where he is right now uh, is amazing. The fact he's still here and all this stuff, but the fact that he loves not only loves America and loves racing in this series, but now he's more than likely going to be in an Andretti Autosport car next year, with you know Colton Herta and, and and Alexander Rossi. He's going to be running full time, and he has so much passion for this that it might turn out that Roman Grosjean, former Formula F two champion or whatever, I think it was GP two back then. Yeah, you was, know, yeah. and you know he had podiums in Formula One, and at one point was considered his next big great French star. He's going to remake his whole career. Almost dies and goes and remakes his whole career, and he's going to be possibly in a position to compete for a championship after driving quite possibly near the worst car in formula one for, I don't know how many years is a great, uh, amazing recovery for him. And I think that's the start of it. You talked about Takuma Sato. Um, There's rumors about him possibly um, being replaced, which I mean, Ray Hall Letterman, they've had him. This is his second go around with them. He's won them an Indy 500. He's won the multiple races. I've been a Ray Hall, Graham Ray Hall guy for better or worse for a lot of years. And in a lot of ways, Takuma Sato's outperformed him at times. And there it looks like Jack Harvey. Of course, we were talking about Elio earlier. Jack Harvey is out at Shank Racing. They're looking at other drivers for the second car. Likely one of the young uh, drivers in Indy Lights might be the option. Uh, because they're an Andretti Autosport kind of like feeder team, a satellite team. So like a Kyle Kirkwood or, you know, David Malukas or whoever, somebody in Indy Lights, it seems like would be, or an, an Oliver Askew is another one um, who basically got run out the door by Arrow Spam. Um, he might be an option. Uh, you look at, uh, you know, Ray Hall. it looks like Jack Harvey is going there. Um, whether he's going to be in a third car or in the second car, and they're trying to find funding for a third car. Um, it uh, There's a lot of growth, and, and I think Broman Grosjean, for us, I mean, for you, Tom, as well, but you know, with his, your experience with him in Formula One, I think it's a big season for a lot of people that are involved. Simon Pagenaud is another one that is um, in news, too, in regards to the silly season coming up for 2022.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's. I mean, to start with Grosjean, there's a lot to unpick there. But to start with Grosjean, uh, I I think he got a lot of stick when he first came across. Certainly from from people this side and from some IndyCar fans that I heard on on various uh, sources of media about the fact that he wasn't doing the ovals. Uh, but given like the the time that he had to recover, you know, he's still in pain with his hands now. The, the time that he's had to recover he would not have had the time to to learn how to drive oval safely as well as learning the formula so to come in and to to te- to put his toe in the water test the series he might have absolutely hated indycar so why put himself in that situation where he's not comfortable so he's come across with a team that's going to give him a go he's proven with with a pole position and a near race win and some great performances you know some bad moments you know there's some of the old romandas come out a couple of times but uh, but he's had a he's a decent a decent season and now he's got interest from one of the biggest names in the sport to uh to replace one of the one of the biggest names in the sport as well potentially and ryan hunter ray looks like the one that's going to be making way for him yeah uh, is um it, it's a great story and now to, to then come from that to you know have a have a year of learning uh and a year of spending time with his family and traveling around in his big winnebago around around the states and you know, then then move his family out here get a house get a drive at a top team you know full backing full season and just really go for it next year he could be in one of those people that we're saying Do you know what he's in the championship fight next year it could really happen I think he'll definitely win races next year if that is the case and it really put a bit of a bit of a kick up the uh, the arse of of alexander rossi and colton Herta. i don't whether he actually challenges them but he'll certainly give them a wake-up call there's you know it's not a free rider andretti they're not yeah. the, the golden children anymore they, they, they've got to watch out because this old guy's coming in and he's he's not you know he's he's not out of things yet mm-hmm. jack harvey was a real surprise for me i thought he was absolutely embedded in that uh in in that team in, in Maya shank and the way that they were going about uh, their business he kind of represented their business model and it was a real surprise to see that he was out um uh, i think you're right i think it looks like it's going to be Reha letterman lag and again but i do think it's i think he's going to be replacing taku and i think potentially um he'll be um he'll be alongside uh someone someone like oliver askew uh I think that's that would be a good shout. Um, obviously, Castro Nevers replacing full time. Who's going to be replacing him? Uh, who's going to be replacing Jack Harvey? It's it, that's that's another one. I mean, you mentioned about about the youngsters. Maybe maybe Andressi want to put a youngster in there. Um, Maybe you, you, they may even look at someone like Devlin DeFrancesco might be an option for that. You mentioned Carl Kirkwood in Indy Lights. I don't know much about Indy Lights, but you uh, know those guys are, are certainly the, the big names coming out of Indy Lights at the moment as people to look out for. Like even names are mentioned across the pond as well, not just on um, not just on around IndyCar. So there's yeah. there's in, there's interest in them. They may want to look at. Again, people like Christian Lungard coming across doesn't bring a huge amount of budget, but uh, but he certainly with, with the Alpine Academy, they might want to they might want to place him there for for the experience. And then you've got Kevin Magnussen, desperate to get into IndyCar, it seems. Yeah, he's whether he certainly equipped himself well at McLaren. McLaren looking at potentially putting in a third car when the opportunity is right. I think they would have to be someone that brings budget for that to happen, but. It's certainly something that, that may well happen in the very near future. So, you know, KMAG is, is an option for them if things don't work out with Rosenquist or if, uh, um, if they're able to get the budget together. And I can really I can see them definitely going for the three cars next year in a couple of races, um, potentially the whole, the whole season, um, if they can get the right, get the right numbers together. Uh, you know, if they add up to the right numbers, then then they could well they could well see that. So, yeah, so there's a there's a lot to look forward to in that, and it's um it I think next year is going to be even stranger because we could potentially have a new series champion. Well, could potentially have one of two new series champions, um, and, or there could be a, an incredible comeback from Joseph Newgarden. Um, I I just find it weird that Scott Dixon is so so far back at, at the moment. I know he's not dramatically far back but to, to be 60 or points behind below is just just as you said mind-boggling I, I I don't see how that's happened that that came from nowhere he didn't exactly set the world light in junior formula over in Europe either so um he's obviously found his sweet spot at, at Ganassi and uh and he's a thoroughly nice guy as well from what I hear so I look forward to that um Paginot, yeah Simon Pagino, he's he's uh shown that yeah he could still win races. He hasn't won any this year, but he's shown that he can win races. I I i I've got this feeling that he's just gonna I, I think this is gonna be it for him. I think he's gonna be leaving Penske whether it's his choice or whether Rogers had enough. I I, I don't know, but I, I can see him going. I can see them freshening things up. Things have got to change at Penske and I think he'll be the one that will that will make way. Um but uh there's potential rumours that he might be the one that McLaren would look at as well. Because he's yeah. apparent, apparently he's a big McLaren fan. Um, yeah. If he's a big McLaren fan, why did he punt off Lando Norris in the virtual Indy 500 at the uh, start of the season last year? <laughs> Which well, I, still forgiv- I still haven't forgiven him for that. But. Yeah,
0: well, what is it? Root beer floathead's move on Oliver Askew wasn't any better. So, mm. um, root beer floathead is Santino Ferrucci. Um, that's yeah, a Yeah, I figured but, that. Yeah, yeah but um, I, I think Pagano, he's. My thing with him, I thought because he has a Menard sponsorship because he won John Menard, the Indy 500, that he was never going to get fired. And what I realized is Will Power can't ever get fired because he's just generally been irrelevant for two or three years now. And he's an asshole. Um, And the fact is Roger Penske will never fire the guy. Um, They probably should have moved on from him after last year, but they kept him anyway. Now they're going to give him another extension. I don't know why. Um, great. He qualifies well. But what does he do in races most of the time? I, I mean, I get it. He had his time. He's had many great years. He only has one championship. He can blame it on Dixon. You can blame it on whatever. But he only has one champion. You can blame it on Frank E.D. too. But it's it's him. You know, at some point, he's past his prime. He isn't the kind of guy that's going to be bringing the. I mean, yeah, he's going to give you a sound bite. Good. So then, what is he? He's just like the Australian Paul Tracy. I mean, that's literally what he's become. Except he's not fat and ri- fully racist and 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 full of shit. um I mean, his wife's a psychopath too, but that doesn't. But the fact is, I don't get why he's there. They could have done themselves a favor and just moved on from him because at least Pagano, to be fair, is is somewhat competitive right now. Pagano's six in points, Will Powers eleventh in points. Paginot has the same amount of podiums as Will Power uh, in regards to qualifying. Same amount, uh, no goals for either driver in terms of leading laps. You have Will Power's led more laps. Okay, fine. Um, Pagano is his average finish is four positions better. He's run at, at the finish of more races. He's had three more lead lap finishes. I don't get that unless you're going to move the sponsorship package over to, say, one of the other two drivers, whether it's Scott McLaughlin or Joseph Newgarden. Okay, fine. Then you're going to consolidate to three cars. You could go and take Simon Pagano and keep him, um, and, well, if Simon Pagano wants to do this. It's the same way as, as Penske convinced Juan Pablo Montoya and, and Elio Castroneves to move to the Acura um, DPI program. They both are willing to do it um i think deep down inside both of them wanted to stay in IndyCar, car and i still don't understand why nobody's like oh let's call juan pablo if you're gonna have all these other old guys juan pablo can still do it he showed up ran a one-off for 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 arrow spam and they didn't have the greatest setup or whatever greatest fastest car in qualifying got a top 10 finish out of the deal you're telling me that wouldn't help patricio award go and take another step forward, having a veteran and somebody who's been through as much stuff as, as Juan Pablo Montoya has been through in his whole entire career. Not only prior to being in IndyCar the first time, his Formula One time, going in NASCAR and returning back to IndyCar. That's the kind of guy you need to have if you want to take a step forward. You need that veteran presence at a team. That, to me, if I'm Zach Brown and I'm all those people, why not? You have the funding for two cars. Go and deal with whoever you want for the third, but put a veteran next to Pato Award and then take a take a ringer with a young guy. And you have a team that can compete with the super teams, with the Penske's, the Ganassi's, and the Andretti's. That's the way to roll. And in, considering how deep this field is becoming, it's a smarter move. Um, Pagano has multiple options. You talked about Kevin Magnus in there, Tom. I think his move is um, he's leaving the Ganassi sports car deal to run full time for Peugeot in the WEC where I read that somewhere. So it sounds like his commitments are to that, which is a shame to me. I was thinking about that too. He wanted to run IndyCar. He ran one IndyCar race and fundamentally he got screwed in that deal at Road America. He ran really well. He fits IndyCar. Like his dad did it. And his dad was all right in it. And I think in the end, you know, it's doing the same thing. His dad became this great sports car driver for decades. And so he's like, well, Formula One didn't go well. I had to drive for Haas, all this things. But I ran Car. I think I should be an in IndyCar. It could be an in IndyCar, but I don't have all the budget. But they want to pay me to drive a sports car and I could win Le Mans overall. And that's one of the only things I think his dad never did in sports car racing is win Le Mans overall so um i think that's what he wants to do he's going to get to run with his dad next month at the 24 hours of Lama. uh but it tells you how good this field is when the likes of kevin Magnuson, who probably could be an indycar driver should be an indycar driver um are just like ah screw it i'm gonna go and do um, prototype racing since that's a growing um deal uh when it comes to moments that stand out i'll throw to you first tom in regards to this i mean i think you have some great ones to pick from when as a arrow spam guy but um yeah let, let us know what you have enjoyed so far this season whether it's drivers uh certain wins whatever that has stood out as we lead into the second part of this indycar season
1: so for me, there's there's been a couple of special moments for this season for me. Um, I'm I'm not going to name any McLaren ones because that just puts me as too you know <laughs> that just puts me as one dimensional being. So uh, yeah, I mean they they've been great, but they've been great because I'm a fan of the team. They've not been great because because they're special moments in the sport. Um, for me, seeing Roman Grosjean get that pole position. Um, at the at the road course, and then the fact that that, that happened, and then I, I told I told my better half about about the result, and then she sat there and she watched the entire IndyCar race with me. From lights to flag, and she's never watched a minute of IndyCar in her life. And uh, that what I know he didn't win the race, um, Readings VK went and screwed that for me, but uh, it was it was a great race, and it was a wonderful moment to see him, you know, just you say, have that turnaround and get, get that pole and 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 fight at the front and that for me is is the reason why it's now going so well that you know what he went through that weekend and what he he really showed everyone that you know that he's he still got the talent that everyone believed he had um uh, that's definitely um a strong moment for me i did have another one uh, in my head and it's just completely escaped me now um
0: well i can go and go and you go and i'll in, try and remember what yeah. that
1: was What's- and
0: for me i mean i've never really been an Alio castro Neves person. Um, I've always kind of thought of him as kind of phony and all that, and his shoe-polished black hair that hasn't changed for 25 years, but obviously he uses Man or something. Um, the whole, da- like, more people know him not for winning 3 Indy 500s, but for winning Dancing with the Stars. It kind of irritates me as a motorsports fan. Um, but then when you consider James Inchcliffe, more people know him for dancing with the stars in his racing career. Um, and the fact that he got, um, shish kebab by a suspension piece and almost died, uh, then that, that also, that doesn't matter. Oh no, he did dancing with the stars with the sexy Sharna Burgess. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, the fact is that that, that win and that battle he had with Alex Pillow was one of the best battles I've seen in recent years on an oval, but in general um, that was great racing. Uh, and the fact that there was a couple times I thought the race is over. Okay. I thought, Oh, that's, that's really okay. But I, there was a pass I think with four to go and I'm like, okay, that's it. Hello. This is it. He's going to win the Indy 500. It's going to be a huge deal, whatever. And then Elio came back. He's been close. He lost to Ryan Hunter Ray in 14 he had another second place finish i think recently and then of course got basically sent to run sports cars um alio has been at this i don't know how many years uh 12 years waiting for that fourth indy 500 uh it wasn't as long of a wait for for rick mears i think he did all four of his wins in 12 years um aj Foyt won three race of his four the first three in pretty close succession and then had to wait a while before he got his fourth and final one. Al Sur won his first Indy 570. Um, 70 and, and won him back-to-back 70 and 71. And then won his last one in 87. Uh, so he had a bit of a wait between the third and the fourth wins. So that celebration, everything that happened with that was one of the coolest things I've ever seen the end of that race. It's a beautiful thing for this sport, and it got people talking about Indy car racing, like it hasn't been talked about in a long time. Uh, I think it made people think about Alex Palou, and now the likely possibility of him winning a championship would be a big deal because then they'll be like, "Oh yeah, he finished second to Ayo in the Indy 500." Um, there is that. Uh, I think the other piece is Alex pelo and and Pato Award. I mean, I kind of been a fan anyway of Pato, but. Alex Pelot and what he's done this year in a 10 car um, as a Dario Franchitti guy for many years um, is akin to what Dario was doing when he used to be in that car prior to his um, um, injury that ended his career. He was a force in, in that team. He won races. He took cars that were at times not the best for him and he'd pull it out. He went and scored points and he was consistent, but he was fast. And he never left anything on the table. I mean, I think Dario was a little more calculated and he was a little more fin he had more finesse than Alex Pillow. But I think there's a lot of the same characteristics that Dario had without with the refinement compared to what Alex has. And he is making Scott Dixon work. And the fact is, look, Scott Dixon is never gonna he's gonna drive for Ganassi. Until he drops dead. He'll probably be driving until he's 80. I don't care. It doesn't matter. It's likely. Um, He has three kids now. So he has to make a lot of money. Um, But the fact is. Scott Dixon hasn't had to work this hard in a while. uh, Since Stario was around. And it's a good thing. And Ganassi likes winners. He always says that. He was so adamant about that. He got out of NASCAR racing. And now he's going to have two Cadillac prototypes next year. He's going to have to hire three new drivers at least. Um, So, I mean, he's – but Alex Pillow is going to be there for a long time because Formula One ain't going to be calling. So he's going to be there for a long time. And I think the future of Ganassi IndyCar's program starts with the 10 car and Alex Pillow. No matter what happens the rest of the season, whether he wins a championship or not, um, I think he's going to be a factor for the future long term um were you able to figure out uh the other i did kid? okay
1: yeah i've remembered it and it actually goes back to um it goes back all the way to episode seven of the monkey seat which would have been sort of june time last year and uh and we had a guest come on our show he was our very first guest and he was uh he was an expert in indycar and he was talking about how he was trying to get funding to get together to get into the indy 500 in 2020 it didn't come about Uh, and then uh things happened and uh, things went quiet and then the same person was pushing and pushing to try and get into 500 in 2021 uh and then right at the death it happened and to see steph wilson line up on the indy 500 was just absolutely phenomenal after everything that he's that he's been through It sucks that he was the first retirement, uh, but and you know it looked to be driver error. I don't think it was in reality. Um, I wasn't able to. um, I was going to try and get him to come back on the show and talk about it, but you know scheduling commitments and stuff. He's got a lot going on, so he wasn't able to. But uh, but it it was just great to see to see him get get that after talking to him about it off air and everything. And and it was just great to see that happen. And I was I was so proud. And I just. I just really wanted it to go well for him and uh unfortunately obviously it wasn't but that was that was the other real key moment for me to see to see that happen and uh yeah. hopefully hopefully he can get back next year There's uh, the stuff in the irons in the fire he's made some good partnerships and uh he's got some funding so hopefully he makes something happen next year and uh and he can he can do a little bit better
0: yeah t- for for me as a badass fan and a lot of us here in America who who took a liking um to Justin Wilson um as someone who was able to at least talk to Justin Wilson once upon a time and get interview time with him uh it means uh, a lot to see Stefan he's had a tougher time of course it's never been easy for him in his career I mean also when you consider your older brother how well respected he was in so many different formulas um, to be able to come back and run indie and be in a competitive car in and an Andretti car, hey, give himself a chance. Um, he's a great guy. Um, that's just period. What it is. I mean, sure, it may not, it may not be, and he's great in in the sim world too. So, that's another thing that's there. I think the sports car realm uh, might be calling his name. I would hope that you know there are teams based on whatever uh, medals, whatever um uh rating he has I think that would be somebody to get that he has a lot of speed um and he can do that and dovetail it with limited IndyCar appearances because the field is growing um and I think a third OEM is coming too so once that happens and I think you know sky's the limit for IndyCar you know, penske is trying to get a more solid schedule all these things are there um the series is growing and it's very positive but yeah steph wilson definitely it was unfortunate what happened to him early in the race with the brakes and a lot of people had issues with brakes and um entry pit entry and all that so
1: yeah he was a very good company i actually yeah. to him yeah. and told him that i said like oh, come on you're you're in good company don't let it get don't let it keep yeah. you down and 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 yeah no he's uh he, he'll he'll bounce back he's strong yeah
0: veteran veteran drivers one-off drivers lots of guys had that issue um I think Winch power did a couple of times uh during the Indy 500 uh this year and it it, it tells you you can getting into it next year is going to be um something to see how to make the race for sure um we'll transition into formula e um abb formula e world championship last race was the uh london e Prix uh last earlier this week uh, it, uh they were running inside of an arena looked kind of cool then they're running outside uh you had the uh, two races and trying to do, yeah, the Excel circuit there. Um, why am I going, yeah, there you go. Let's do this. I always do this to myself during um, the show. Uh, the uh, results from the race on Sunday saw Alex Lynn win for Mahindra. So yay for me um, as a brown guy I'm watching the Indian team win. Um, yay for Tom since a Brit won. uh, Nick DeVries, who was coming up in regards to formula one conversations finished second for Mercedes and Mitch Evans, uh, third for, uh, Jaguar Robin Freins fourth and Pascal Verline fifth in the, uh, race on sat- Sunday and on Saturday, Jake Dennis, so British sweep uh this time for BMW and Reddy, Nick DeVries, Alex Lynn, the top 3, Lauderer, and Rene Rast, uh former teammates at Audi, um in this case Lauderer driving for Porsche and then Rene Rast for Audi. Uh top 5. I think the takeaways from that is yeah, British guys winning at home, but you know, I think the more interesting story is Lucas Degrassi's um interesting uh uh way of taking a penalty there late trying to go and get around and trying to pull a Schumacher of sorts around a time penalty and it almost worked but in the end it didn't
1: yeah is to anyone who didn't see it uh, basically what he did was they were all lining up behind the safety car as they do and then he was like back there in eighth place and he just peeled off into the pit lane of course nothing uh there's not there's not normally pit stops in formula e but uh, the the rule states that if you enter the pit lane, stop and rejoin the field under safety car then um that's allowed. um so he did that. He pulled into his pit box, he stopped, he drove off and then pulled out and came out in the lead. So um all very um uh very contentious and uh, and upon the replays they uh, they they watched him pull into his pit box and uh, he was stationary for what could have been a fraction of a second and he wasn't deemed to have completely stopped so therefore they uh, they gave him a drive-through penalty which he refused to serve and then they black flagged him which he refused to come in the pits and then he was disqualified post-race so um apparently he wasn't told about his penalties but you you know how i don't know how you can not see a black flag um so yeah it's he stands by the decision. He stands by the strategy of his uh, of his team and what they uh, what they told him to do. But uh, I think it's it left a bit of a sour taste in my mouth, to be honest to to see to see that kind of thing happen. Uh, it's just not it's it's cheating at the end of the day. It's I know it's not in the spirit of the rules, and I thought it when Schumacher did it in uh, I think it was Silverstone back in the day, nineteen ninety eight or ninety nine, maybe. Um, I, I thought it was cheating back then, and I still think it's cheating now. It's you know, it's the equivalent of of uh, of, of taking the shortcut on the ghost track in Mario Kart. You jump over, yeah. <laughs> you, you you jump over the gap, and then you come out by the start line. You don't do it. I know you can do it, but you don't do it. It's cheating. Everyone knows it's cheating, and it's just it's just not on. So, um, given that he was in a championship fight. Um, He was an outsider for the championship. We discussed it on the monkey seat uh, last week with Charlie about how he was an absolute outsider, Um, but he was still in that fight. And uh, now he most certainly is not in the fight. So um, if he backs the decision of his, uh, the strategy of his team, then maybe he should be looking at um, changing teams because he threw away a guaranteed four points and a possible eight or 10 points for a guaranteed disqualification. In what reality were they ever going to let him get away with that? So yeah. poor form that for me there from, uh, from, um, from the team. Really let him drive it down. And too.
0: I mean, the reality is you can't tell me that when you have all the notifications and all the computers and all the things you have, the way that we were started the show talking about Ver versus ham and all the belly aching and bullshitting that was going on to michael massey and he isn't even the person that makes a decision you're telling me that they don't have any notifications to go and say no moss you can't be doing this you have to go and penalize and you're going to ignore it you're just going to act like you i mean i know alan mcnish is short but he can see the computer screen I I mean, I love Alan McNish. He's one of my favorite sports car drivers ever. But, dude, that's obvious. Um, It's not something that's going to come off, especially or should be in a world championship as Formula E is. Uh, In regards to the points, and I think that's in uh, getting into the final. What is it? They're going to the final race here in a few weeks' time. Yeah, it's a a double event.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And two two races, 50 points.
0: Yeah. So Berlin, uh double, uh two, yeah, Saturday, Sunday, double double header race. And it's gonna be in a sense, there are a lot of guys that are still in in involved in this points, and I think in part it's because of the qualifying. I'll get into it. Nick DeVries leads by six points after having a solid weekend in uh London. The 95 to 89 over Robin Frines for Envision Virgin Sam Bird, double DNFs uh, at at home in the Jaguar. Uh, I'll be a Jaguar is an Indian owned deal. Um, the, he's tied with Jake Dennis at 81 points, uh, which is what 14 points back, 15 points back. Is Decosta trying to defend his title? Uh, you have Alex Lynn, Nick Cassidy mitch evans eduardo mortara who at one point was leading the points i believe and renee rast in the top 10. uh but really i think the battle is within i guess alex lynn is the cutoff maybe you you could maybe give it thought to cassidy and evans but that's 20 points i think and and mortara who was up there earlier in the year but a i think one piece is that is going to come into play at least on the saturday race and maybe even the sunday race they do qualifying i've never i mean nascar has stupidity with a lot of things they do and their qualifying formats and their algorithm and that they use to set the field for a lot of these races because every other motorsport series has practice and qualifying except nascar i don't know why um it's pretty dumb but Formula E's format for qualifying um, leaves a lot to be desired too, Tom. I, in, I'll go to you because you know a heck of a lot more than I do um, in regards to Formula E. My interest has waned with the series as years have gone by. But to go and set qualifying based on points and because of track evolution, putting the top form points on the worst track doesn't really make sense. Now, if you tell me that you're swapping it, and putting the worst drivers in points out there to clear the track, yeah, they're probably going to be back there anyway. You know, like let them work their way up the point standings. It gives you more of a a, a incentive to actually try to do as best you can or whatever, like you would assume they're all trying. But it makes more sense track evolution-wise to have the best drivers so far in the year qualify at the end to have the best qualifying but they don't do it that way.
1: No, no the the way the way they do it is similar to the the one shot qualifying the the Formula 1 used to do except they do it in batches. So you have you have a batch of um a batch of drivers. I think it's four of them that go out at a time and but it it works backwards in in championship order. So the 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 highest four in the championship go out first and then they go out at the same time and then they they do that in the groups and then you the top six have a shootout at the end. So if you're in group 1 you're not getting into Super Bowl. So you're not going to, you're not going to have a set, a fast six shootout. Uh, it's, it's, I, we had Mark Preston on who is, who is the head of the, S- the cheetah uh, at the start of the CA year, yeah, just, just before the start of the season, just talking about Formula E in general. And, and he said that, that he loves the Formula E qualifying setup. And, uh, we, we were all oh, tell us more because we're still fairly new Formula E fans ourselves. And, uh, and when he said about it, I was like, okay, that sounds interesting. I need to see it. And I've never been convinced by it at all. And to be honest, more and more the drivers now, Formula E are starting to attract higher profile drivers, better drivers, that are that are trying to make a career rather than ending their career, um, that are just happy to put up with gimmicks and just having fun. And, you know, a little, little bit of randomness doesn't matter because they've already had their careers. Now they've got people that are trying to make careers in Formula E. And... It, it's just too random. You know, Nick DeVries is incredibly outspoken about it, and he's the, now the current championship leader. But just going back a little bit on what you said before about about um, the, the people still in the championship fight, um, I, I think given the way that Formula E runs, you've got uh, Nick DeVries on 95 points, so there's 50 points up for grabs. Andre Lotter is 50 points back. Him, for me, is the first person who's out of that championship fight. You go back to Oliver Rowland on fifty nine points and sixteenth place. He's still in the championship fight. I mean you've got um I said about Degrassi not being in the fight anymore, he's only three points further up the road. It's very, very unlikely they're gonna they're gonna win it. But but you you look at Stoffel Van Dorn, he's been really, really strong all year. He's on sixty-three points. <laughs> that's 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 so far back, but he's still in the championship fight because of this qualifying format. And yes, it's great because it means that you have different winners all the time. And and it. You, but the trouble is, the cards, they are not go karts the the tracks are the tracks you, you it's a spec series effectively i know you've um it's spec aero you've got different power power units but it's not yeah. a vast difference in pace between the cars you're not going to get a car going from the back and coming to the front this qualifying format for me would work it would work in formula 1 because you've got the you've got the fastest cars starting at the back they will come through you bring this qualifying format in uh in in Formula E cars it's basically you couldn't you, you would have mazapan winning one week then the next week it would be fernando alonso then it would be ocon the next week and then the following week it would be hamilton because by now he's fallen far enough of the championship to be able to get into the super pole and it's just it's just a complete lottery and it almost the start of the season i was saying that mercedes are going to dominate this year and they did at the start of the season But then because of the qualifying system, they went three or four races without a point. And then they ended up falling to the back again. And because they then dropped into the the group qualifying a little bit further down, they've now come good again. So it almost seems like the best way to do it is to be average at the start, then crap. And then you'll end up with a great way to finish the season. You just want to kind of end up in that mid-pack. So you're always getting into group two. And then you come strong at the end of the season. It's just, it's too much like chess for me. This is racing, not chess.
0: Yeah. It's
1: it's the, that's
0: the thing that really caught my eye. Um, I've been able to catch some of the more recent events, New York, uh, Brooklyn, and had a friend of mine who was able to actually go there, which was interesting. And um, a co-worker wanted to go because he was already there, but they didn't allow them to. And I'm like, you had they were only giving tickets to certain certain people. And I'm like, there was plenty of empty seats there. Like If you're literally anywhere within the vicinity Red Hook section of Brooklyn, you should have been allowed to get into that racetrack because there was really a whole lot of seats open. I would have went there for free, not for the ridiculous amounts of money they asked for that. And then, of course, London, um, I like the way they did it. It kind of fits because it's the electric uh, motorsport deal, I think, for uh, the U.S. doing it in an arena setting the way they do Supercross and the way they used to do Race of Champions. Um, using a stadium like an outdoor stadium in the NFL, like uh, the old uh, LA Coliseum, for example, they have big hills and you can do, it would be like the old Mickey Thompson off-road series where Jimmy Johnson used to race in way back when Supercross used to race there. That would be a great one. Um, they can't use the new LA stadium. I forget SoFi stadium because that's where the Super is going to be and all kinds of stuff. But I think that's an idea that the Formula is e brought in that I think is going to be great and might open up different options but the qualifying sucks um it's not ideal and if Nick DeVries loses the championship because of this format I think it's a joke um it's it does you're not giving the best drivers a chance to actually compete for the title You're basically leaving it up to going and donking off races. You're telling people, oh, let's throw two rounds or three rounds of a series out so we can fall back for a qualifying position. That's just really dumb. But we will see. Uh, Formula E will be back in a few weeks' time post-Olympics. But, uh, Tom, you wanted to say something else? Uh,
1: No, all I I was just going to say was uh, I think it is going to change. I don't think it's... Is going to stay like this for much longer. Formula e are open to shaking up the format. I think we'll probably see fan boost um, going because uh, that's kind of being a bit. Uh, it, that's I, I've never been a fan of that, uh, but th- that seems like I think that's going to be going. Attack zone will be staying, but I'm, I'm pretty sure the qualifying format itself is is going to change. So hopefully, uh, come you know, come the Gen three cars, we'll see a different form qualifying format, something a bit more. Um, something a bit more competitive as opposed yeah. to punitive.
0: I think it would be better too if they did some sort of uh, pit stop to add a little bit of strat to races. I think that would, because as much as it seemed kind of hokey to drive the car swap, I kind of enjoyed that. There was something to actually rehearsing a car swap because you can't change the tires, you're not doing any of the other but I think there was something to that. There was something to making sure you go and run a good in and out lap so you're able to to perform at the best level. I think the fact they don't have pit stops kind of uh, affects the races or, or like, OK, fine, they have a tax zone. Oh, you have to go and give yourself a gap so you can go run around like that's fine. Um I mean, it doesn't, and and, I mean, there's other things I have about F Formula E that probably are why I'm not as into it um, as I used to be. But um, one thing I wanted to bring up before um, we go and kind of change the subject to what's coming up and what has went on, um, the manufacturer, um, recent manufacturer decisions. um, I know BMW is definitely leaving. I may be wrong about other um manufacturers but what does it say about i mean andretti is going to stay in formula e but i mean i don't know what what they're looking at in regards to oems trying to come in but what does it say about the health of the series when you have a couple of oems deciding to leave at this point and looking at alternative options like you know the world endurance championship slash imsa with the sports cars and prototypes, whether it's open wheel series elsewhere, um, the other manufacturers are also deciding that that's not the best option to be running in Formula E after making a full court press to basically get there.
1: Yeah, it's. I, I don't think it's. Uh, I don't think it's like an epidemic of of, uh, of teams leaving at the moment. I mean, we're not losing teams off the grid. We're losing. We're losing Audi and we're losing BMW, but those they're just demonstratory outlets to go and we're not losing the teams off the grid. So I, I don't think it's it's a horrendous situation. You're always going to have manufacturers come and go because you've got the old adage, you know, win on Sunday, buy on Monday. And that all of these teams are in the are in the formula to win. If they're not winning, they're not going to stay. Or if they've they've reached their what their target goal was to be in there to help their exposure or and get them get them get their name known in other countries. And once they've reached that goal, they're not going to pump money into a formula that's you know, but they're not going to be winning championships, so um, I I don't think it's a major problem. You're always going to see them coming and going. They'll bring out a new gem car, and then somebody will see an opportunity to steal a march, and then you'll see another manufacturer come in, and you know who knows, you might see Ferrari in the future in Formula E. So um, yes, it, it's can it certainly can't be unchecked it's not a kind of thing where they're just like, oh well, who needs them? It's fine. We've got all these other manufacturers, it doesn't matter. They they do need to be wary of it and they do need to make sure that when they do do their generation upgrades and changes, they are consulting the constructors because they are they are important, but they are not the be all on end. Or we don't need I mean Formula One have proven that you don't need to have lots of manufacturers in the sport to be a global sport. And Formula E is still you know this year is the first year technically it's a global sport this year will be the first will be the first time that the champion will be will be known as a world champion because it's the first time it has a world championship status and that that it's that's just how the the, the form kind of all the formula organically grows so i don't think we need to worry but i i just think it's something that, that just needs to be kept to check on and make sure that when they do their gen 3 changes that that is they are putting something in place that is going to be beneficial for manufacturers and they may get a few more come in
0: yeah so yeah that's i i agree i mean it's it is a product of racing it's happened here in the states in sports cars um and NASCAR even and 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 multiple Motorsports in IndyCar too frankly uh and and you know in other different forms of racing and so we'll see I think because Formula E is more I mean Motorsport in its own right is its own niche um even though NASCAR doesn't believe that but definitely it's a niche market uh, Formula E has its certain base they're trying to get to. And I think in regards to Audi, of course, they're, they've they got sports car um, commitments and aspirations to go back to Le Mans and do what they were doing for all these years. It makes sense for them. And maybe they got what they wanted. BMW to the same point. Um, but they're more committed on the GT side. Or maybe they are going to do something else with Andretti. Who knows? Uh, it's a shame, really, because the DTM series is, basically dead um and both of them left there too um for all intents and purposes and or yeah i mean all of them are more or less were gone uh, bmw left and audi bmw and audi were there last year and then basically died mercedes had to leave before that um because they weren't really competitive and then they were doing all these other things So it's something to be seen because some of the smaller teams, I guess maybe that gives an opportunity to some of the smaller outfits that have kind of struggled for a while, whether it's a Neo or some of the smaller like independent outfits, Envision, Virgin, um, which is now an independent outfit, um, might be a little – they're doing all right this year points-wise, but they could be in a better place um, given some of these exits and some of the things that might change. going forward i'm gonna go and do the uh, roundup so this weekend of course we'll have formula three and w series at hungary uh when it comes to uh the formula three world championship my screen just decided to go and freeze on that that's great Um, I'm just going to go and change over before I go and talk about the races that are upcoming. We have Formula 3W series and British touring cars coming up this weekend. Uh, There's talk or rumors that Formula 2 and Formula 3, um, instead of this alternating schedule that they've had this year, are going to go back to the old uh, format of where they're all running the same weekends or more or less running the same weekends. There might be a little bit of deviation. I don't know if you've heard anything about that, Tom, but,
1: um, I've not, I, I saw the article, but I confess I haven't read it in, uh, in, in any particular detail. I, yeah. I like the fact that they separate them. Uh, my only, my only issue with it is that three races in one weekend for one formula is a bit much, uh, I don't think you necessarily have to have four races with two formulas. Uh, I I just I like that you know, Formula Three gets full you know gets full coverage you know as the backup for you know, not the backup you know the supporting formula. And it, yeah. it, for me, it's like it's put a lot more focus on on those drivers. Like for me now, names like Dennis Hauger and Frederick Vesti are much more. Um, much more household names for me now that I. It was always for me. It was I'd watch the Formula One, obviously, and if there's IndyCar and Formula E, and then it gets at the Formula Two, and then oh, I've still got to watch two Formula Three races. Whereas if it's yeah. just three Formula Two races, you kind of become invested in the narrative of the weekend and how one race affects the next race. And so I like the fact they're on alternate weekends, and I for one hope they keep it. Even if they did more race weekends and just did the two races, that would be fine as well. But they just did alternate weekends. Um that would be I would be happy with that. But um who knows? Who knows what their what their motivation is. I I can't see how it's financially any better to to run both at the same weekend. But hey ho, we'll see what they come up with.
0: Yeah, we'll see what happens with that. I mean, Hauger's got a huge points lead, uh what is it, twenty six and, and forty one points over Vesty. Um Jack Dewin uh was finally coming through this year. Got to win. He's in. So the battle for second right now is very close. There's four drivers within eight points with Vesti doing Ollie Caldwell and Victor Martins. Uh, that's the top five. Um, and then after that, there's kind of like a drop off. Smollier, uh, Caio Collette are all kind of in their own mini battle. 11 points between them. Nanini and Johnny Edgar. Then there's a huge drop off. Iwasa, Artur Leclerc, who won one other sprint. Uh, you have Logan Sargent, who stood out last year and uh, now is in a third-rate car. David Schumacher has one sprint win and nothing else. Um, Enzo Fittipaldi has struggled this year. The other American drivers, Juan Manuel Correa, Jack Crawford, and Caelan Frederick are all buried and then you have guys that haven't um, scored points which is what there's a good 9 or 10 of them there that haven't even scored a point this year
1: so but what a what a comeback from Correa though I have to I said it on my podcast I say it here as well I mean I know he's only got, got the 9 points on there but but absolutely phenomenal comeback after what he went through to now be back in racing just over a year later is, is incredible and he deserves all the respects and more that anyone can give him
0: yeah and that is that is true in regards to his uh return i mean last year during the pandemic he was basically racing with with one arm and or both arms and one foot or i believe that's what it was and and now he's able to drive a race car a very competitive race car again after the serious injuries he suffered in the accident that took place which um uh which saw the um the untimely unfortunate passing Anton Hubert uh so that and to recover from that or be in recovery and be back in racing whatever it is um HWA is not one of the best teams in that series anyway but um he is there um and and he deserves credit for that for sure and it's a great point you make there um we'll see what happens Hauger is definitely taken um a big step forward there three seconds two wins he's he's very competitive um it's going to be very hard for those guys to come back albeit there's still 12 rounds to go so i mean 12 races to go so a lot of things can happen in 12 races but we will see what happens with that albeit you know pandemic could affect how many races they really do have Um, w series uh was at uh they're at Spielberg for two races and Silverstone will be at Budapest this weekend in regards to the um standing so far it's uh uh it's British you could just play the British national anthem because uh, Alice Powell two wins out of three defending champion Jamie Chadwick has the other win and two podiums and then Sarah Moore is in Third place. Uh and Emma Kimmelinen is in the top five. All these people I've never heard of. Bruna Tomaselli, ninth. Um, Abby Eaton, the uh, stig part two 11th I think her girlfriend's up there. I don't know which one it is. I think it's Alice Powell's girlfriend. Um, Betskay Visser is in 12th. Uh, you have, of course, Vicky Peria, who's great to look at. Has no points. Um, Sabri Cook, the American, that last, very unfortunate. Um, Ayla Hagrin. Some of these girls I've never even heard of. That's part of the thing that makes it sad. You'd think they'd do a little better promotion, you know, Jessica only Like, you would think they do better promotion after a year and a half, more than a year, to, to prepare for all this. But um, the way they provide the races, be in sports, it's kind of like in buried. They don't really do good promotion with it. Um, the the women that are actually good on social media promote it, but then when you consider some of them that are not really that good do a better job than the ones that are good, kind of seems like LPGA tour level um, kind of stuff there.
1: Yeah, over here it doesn't really get an awful lot of coverage either. It's got a it's got a global uh, a global television deal with Channel Four, which is partly down to David Coulthard running obviously Whisper Films and. And being commentator on the series and co-founder of the series as well, he puts a lot of weight behind it. So his name obviously carries a lot with Channel Four. So that's why Channel Four picked it up. Channel Four to um, to probably most of your listeners, uh, it's it's like it's it's like your NBC, ABC. It's not it's another big network local um, channel over here. But it's uh, it's um, they they don't really promote it as well as they should do. It's on there, and if you know it's on, you can find it. But you don't see it anywhere. It's, you have to physically search for it. It's, they don't like plug it on the live sports section or anything like that. It's not something you'll just come across when you're scrolling through their website. It's not on any of their broadcast channels. You have to do it through streaming. It's only the races themselves you'll get on the television. And quite often, it'll only be highlights. Which is a bit of a shame. Um, I would like it to... Um, I mean, I hate Sky. Don't get me wrong, I hate Sky, but I would like it to fall onto the, the you know the F one T V slash Sky schedule so they have all of the support series on the same thing and they can plug them equally and say, right, okay, that's practice done. Um so you can head off and watch a race in W series or you got your Formula Three race coming up and they can just, you know, they can drive the Formula One fans to these other formulas um if they want to watch more racing. That's I'd like to see that. But at the moment they don't even mention W series
0: and it's a shame considering they're running on the same weekend I, I i find that to be very hard to believe and some of the women are actually connected to the teams um and that that makes it even more disappointing um especially when you consider the plight of women in racing and how many of them that have actually are actually good but don't get any traction and how many you know wars Um, get through and can't drive a hot nail through snow Um, unless it's got KY jelly in it and it's going somewhere else. But um, that's beside the point. Uh, I'll get into British touring car briefly um, here. They're running their fourth round Alton park this weekend. Um, I love how motorsport.com doesn't even bother to provide the points or anything like that. We'll get into more detail next week as we build back up into um, racing again. Because we'll have, I think we'll have Watkins Glen next week. I might be wrong. Who knows? It probably. I probably am wrong. Uh, and what is it? I'm just gonna go and do this for myself. So yeah. So I'll, yeah. So Nashville and then Road America will be next week. Oh yeah. So yeah. Next. So. So next week, at least, we'll have racing again. So that's good. Full full um, uh, complement of racing. So we'll get into that more in detail with the British Touring Cars. Um, last week, we had World Superbike at Assen. Uh, the race one winner was uh, Jonathan Ray over Scott Redding and Toprak Rassigulu. Uh Garrett Gerloff finished sixth. In that race, and then in the Super Bowl uh, race, Johnny Ray over Michael Rubin, Rinaldi, Rasugulu, um Gerloff finished eighth. Then uh, in race two, you know, Garrett Gerloff and Rasagulu crashed into each other, which is great, um, unless you're a Yamaha person or you're a fan of either of those riders, and, or if you're a fan of Johnny Ray, um, since the guy really needs help to go and win a world Superbike title because he's won like seven, six straight super, world Superbike titles. I don't I don't even know how many years ago it was, and Johnny Ray was just some guy on a Honda, and now he's won six straight world Superbike championships going on seven. I don't know when the fuck that happened, um, but it's probably going to. Um, he beat Scott Redding and Andrea Locatelli. Uh, Chaz Davies and Alvaro Bautista woke up from sl- – rousted from slumber – Um, and actually got a top five on a Honda. Um, That's a throwback to um, years past when Hondas were actually competitive in Superbike. Uh, Johnny Ray has a 37-point lead over Asagulu. Um, That's basically the battle. Uh, Redding is in his own little world. Lowe's fourth, Rinaldi fifth, Gerloff. So Michael Rubin, Rinaldi, Garrett Gerloff, Michael Vandermark, and Tom Sykes are within their battle and there are nine points between the four of them. So that's something to see Garrett. There's some of these guys might be going to MotoGP. There might be some things moving. We'll see about that. Hopefully Garrett Gerloff gets a look, maybe a little bit rushed, but you know, Yamaha doesn't really have a whole lot of options in large part because, you know, Valentino Rossi is basically toast even with the fact he's going to probably move to his own team. Um, the other series dtm go over that briefly because it is dtm nobody really cares anymore um but i want to give it its due because it is racing um and uh they were racing last week and i think we did talk about it while i was zoning out um on the show last week uh, so let's see here all right come on computer do me a favor yeah there you go Race one, Philip Ellis over Liam Lawson and Mike Rockenfeller uh, was the uh, top three. Alex Albon got a top five. Look at that. Um, The American Indian guy um, finished 12th, and Arjun Miney was um, a non placer. Sophia Florsch, great social media um, uh, thing on Instagram, doesn't do much in a DTM car. Uh, Race two, Uh, saw nice thing is Maximilian Gutz, but yeah, Maximilian Gutz over Liam Lawson, Kelvin at Vanderlinda. So Mercedes, Ferrari, Audi, Philip Ellis, Sheldon, Vanderlinda, the top five. Um, Going back there, Miney got a 12th place, and Dev Gore, 17th, super. Uh, Not shocking. Uh, The Standings going into the next round. Vanderlinde has a five-point lead over Liam Lawson. Then Ellis and Gotts are only two points behind each other for third. Albon, fifth. Sheldon Vanderlinde, sixth. Whitman seventh. Uh, you know, there's really about ten guys that have really done anything. Um, neither of the people that I'm looking at, you know, Flourish or the other, I think that's a girl too, um, have done anything. And that's kind of sad. Um, With that, I'll um, throw it over to you, Tom. Thank you for coming on um, this evening for you, um, this afternoon for me, uh, to cover for Josh. Um, Where can we find the Monkey Seed podcast on the socials and whatever channels that we can download your show?
1: You can pretty much find us anywhere. We we get about a bit. Uh, just just search for just for search for podcast, and uh, and you'll find us. We're on YouTube. We do live stream most of our shows. Uh, my co-host Carl is a little bit busy at the moment and myself as well going on my uh, do, doing a Josh and going on vacation next week so uh, he's going to have to go without me next week uh, first show I've missed actually ever so that'll be interesting how that pans out uh, but yeah you can get us on the socials at monkey seat pod um, and we're on Spotify uh, yeah, iTunes pod you know Podbean, or all, all the all the uh, all, all the ones out there you can get if you, if you go to monkey seat you can click on the podcast links tab and you'll You'll see all of our providers on there. You can just click on whichever one that you want to use, or click on all of them and and uh, and uh, listen to us fifty times. That's that that'll be good. Um, so yeah, no, it's it's great fun. We do a very similar thing to Phil, so it's uh, and uh, Phil and Josh covering a lot of motorsport. But what you just went through there were definitely words. Uh, with all of the uh, touring cars and MotoGP, uh, I agree their words. I don't know what they meant because it, I just don't know anything about sports cars or or motorbikes or anything like that. So we, we kind of stick to, to Formula One, your yeah, yeah, Formula E IndyCar, and we touch on the Junior Series and the W Series as well. And we do do a bit of Extreme E because we have Ian Davis comes on from uh, Veloce and he talks to us after each race and lets us know how the team got on and how things happened and everything, which is great. It's really, we really appreciate what he does for us. So, um, yeah, come and give us a shout.
0: And thank you again for coming on. Before we go here this afternoon or this evening, um, my computer yet again is deciding to flame out on me um in regards i'll do it this way because this piece of machinery is working so that's what i'm gonna do give me a second right over here where can you find the grip strip podcast i should know this by now it's my show but i don't Um, you can find myself philip g matthew on twitter at philip g matthew uh you can find the grip strip pod at Grip Strip Pod on Twitter. Our show appears on Podbean, of course, the host site. But We're on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, TuneIn. We are also on uh, Pandora and other things, whatever. There's an Amazon Music. They might have said that. But the fact is you can find us almost anywhere um, as as Tom said we go over all different types of motorsports. I always say it to people when they ask oh you do a podcast what is it about um and I say as long as it goes fast we probably talk about it how well we talk about it depends on how much I drink um and how much I care but um it is what it is uh it's well, it's a passion project for all of us um it's how Tom and I and know everybody have met through the f1 grid talk podcast it's another one that's really taking off this year george house and company um are doing such a great job there um and there are so many good people that we're all able to work together and do the show and we're all fans and that's where we've all met and kind of come together as a small little community and family and
1: um and definitely give them a listen as well yeah Uh, f1 chronicle Search yeah. for them They're straight after the races. Uh, you get your race reviews an hour after the race, qualifying review an hour after the qualifying. So yeah. always worth a listen. And you might hear our, um, our dulcet tones as well occasionally.
0: Yeah, we kind of throw our two cents in. Um, if you really want to listen to me talk about Egghead and Putin Haas, um, it usually happens, at least if I'm on. Um, it pains most everybody else that seems to go on good talk. To talk about them so I just use the opportunity to come up with different scenarios in my mind that could possibly take place like Liam Neeson going and doing a movie with egghead and Mick Schumacher like I talked about a few episodes ago uh yeah so you can find me there uh sportlightpro.com which is George's website uh writing there I was um we'll see what happens as the year goes along since I have a decent job now Um, No vacations for me, theoretically. Um, I will have vacation, which is ironic in a few weeks, but I'll still be here, still doing the show because racing will be back and racing is part of my life. And um, I'm not married yet, Um, so and I'm not close. So this is part of my life. Uh, Thanks again to everyone for listening. Thank you, Tom, for coming on, um, giving us some time during your evening. Um, And giving us so much great information and content and um, takes in regards to the open wheel side of things, um, giving more education in regards to Formula E. Because I know there aren't a lot of people here in the States that are really invested in it. So I think that was cool. Um, I think presentation wise, they're on CBS Sports Network, too. Doesn't help their cause. I think the only reason I think I watch is because, you know, they have a couple of good looking do presenting but then also dario is the lead analyst and i've always been a
1: fan of dario uh
0: but thank you so much tom for coming on um and giving us your time here this evening
1: it's always a pleasure happy to come back anytime
0: and we'll make sure that if that is the case if i do need you in a relief role then it will be at a time that is actually reasonable for you and good for me too because then it's less likely that i'll do um things that are probably a bit questionable. so uh <laughs> we thank you all for listening to the grip strip podcast give tom and co uh a listen download the whole bit for the monkey t podcast they do great work they're going over all the open wheel series they get guests um because they're more professional and if you want to see a tighter or hear a tighter more um professional uh deal definitely listen to Tom and the boys there um, or grid talk. If you just want to listen to two people or at least one guy just talk out of his ass, but has a lot of passion for it. That's me. And if you want to listen to one guy who's a straight laced guy, that's Josh and we both bring the info and we both have fun. And that's the grid talk podcast. We'll be back next week. We'll be talking football. We'll be talking American football since The training camp is opening. We talking about racing again since the Olympics will be on the back end. There will be plenty of racing next week coming up to preview all over the world. And we'll talk about that. And the Formula One Hungarian Grand Prix um, that Max Verstappen probably will win and still be bitching about what happened to him at Silverstone um, last two weeks ago. So we uh, thank you once again for listening to Grip Strip Podcast. Uh, Take care. And uh, take care of one another. Goodbye.